I know that there are a few of you who have discussed what I meant last Sunday. <laughs> what did I mean last Sunday? Well, of course, this this is a good lesson. There's uh, two seats up here. If you want to. Um, it's, of course, as I've mentioned before, always a happier thing not to discuss what you meant. <laughs> uh, or to discuss spiritual ideas in any way. Or to discuss your very sacred experiences that happen to you, the things that happen to you sometimes. Maybe it was something in meditation. Maybe it was something that happened just during the week. And the ego, of course, wants to go out and discuss it. And this, of course, pollutes it a little bit. And so it is good to, um, to learn that lesson eventually um, that there is never any need to discuss uh, spiritual ideas. But, <clears throat> of course, uh, I don't pretend to be able to stop that. <laughs> uh, and I understand that when I said um, that the time had come for me to go home, uh, many of you thought, terminal illness. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> I think actually what I said was that I want to go home to my father and that I'm going home to my father, things like that. And that's just, it meant no more than that. Um, terminal illness. And then when I said, I want you to come with me, <laughs> he's contagious. <laughs> 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 you see what happens when you discuss these things? <laughs> but typically the ego thinks that when you speak of leaving the world or you speak of going home, that this means death. And of course it doesn't. Let me read you something from the Course. This is... Uh, page 220 and 221. It's about four paragraphs long. The world you see is the delusional system of those made mad by guilt. Look carefully at this world and you will realize that this is so. For this world is the symbol of punishment and all the laws that seem to govern it are the laws of death. Children are born into it through pain and in pain. Their growth is attended by suffering, and they learn of sorrow and separation and death. Their minds seem to be trapped in their brain, and its powers to decline if their bodies are hurt. They seem to love, yet they desert and are deserted. They appear to lose what they love, perhaps the most insane belief of all. And their bodies wither and gasp and are laid in the ground and are no more. Not one of them but has thought that God is cruel. If this were the real world, God would be cruel. For no father could subject his children to this as the price of salvation and be loving. <laughs> 
Love does not kill to save. If it did, attack would be salvation. And this is the ego's interpretation, not God's. Only the world of guilt could demand this, for only the guilty can conce could conceive of it. Adam's sin could have touched no one had he not believed that it was the Father who drove him out of paradise. For in that belief, the knowledge of the Father was lost, since only those who do not understand him could believe it. This world is a picture of the crucifixion of God's Son. And until you realize that God's Son cannot be crucified, this is the world you will see. Yet you will not realize this until you accept the eternal fact that God's Son is not guilty. The Course incidentally capitalizes the word Son and refers in the Course to all of us as God's Son. He deserves only love because he is given only love. He cannot be condemned because he has never condemned. The atonement is the final lesson he need learn, for it teaches him that, never having sinned, he has no need of salvation. Earlier I said that the Holy Spirit shares the goal of all good teachers whose ultimate aim is to make themselves unnecessary by teaching their pupils all they know. The Holy Spirit wants only this, for sharing the Father's love for his Son, he seeks to remove all guilt from his mind, that he may remember his Father in peace. Peace and guilt are antithetical, and the Father can be remembered only in peace. Love and guilt cannot coexist, and to accept one is to deny the other. Guilt hides Christ from your sight, for it is the denial of the blamelessness of God's Son. So what I said last Sunday was a simple statement of fact. I, like many of you, now realize <clears throat> that above all else, I wish to walk home. That does not mean that I wish to die. That, wish, that means merely that I wish to know my Father. And the time has come for me to walk home in a more direct way. How I choose to do this is entirely individual and how you will choose to do that when the time comes will be completely individual so if there is some example here it is that when the time comes you wish to go home in a more direct way and it is not the particular way that I must choose you will know the peaceful way in which you may go home more quickly and more directly. But mine is that I must go, 
my family and I must now go to some peaceful place where we can be quiet and we can walk home in a quiet, peaceful surrounding. Santa Fe used to be just that for me. Um, I remember uh, talking to Ram Dass. We, uh, do any of you remember uh, the, uh, the little thing that uh, Marilyn Gatlin put on with Patricia's son and uh, Jerry Jampolsky and uh, Emil Canning and me, the four of us over at the uh, Hilton, was it? Uh, and um, we wanted Ram Dass to join us. He had just moved to Santa Fe at that time, and I talked to him. And he said, no, I've learned not to do anything in the town in which I live. He called it, uh, well, I won't tell you what he called it. <laughs> something about doing something in your nest. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, you're so wrong, Ram Dass. You know, this is your... Because I had uh, recently announced to about 2,500 people in Denver uh, that they could call me any time they wished, <laughs> and even gave them my phone number. There was, a, there was an audible gasp in the auditorium uh, when I did this, <clears throat> and I was surprised that not very many of them called. And I thought, well, you can have a listed phone number. You can do all these things. This, it, the harm doesn't come. Um, and of course there is no harm but what did happen was inevitable and that is that as I ran groups and uh, did more and more uh, exposed myself more and more in the city of Santa Fe with seminars and retreats uh, giving sermons and other talks before this church was begun uh, as I did that, the, of course, I made myself uh, more available. And so when the time came for our family to begin to simplify and cut back a little bit, I began to experience what happens when you try to cut back in a situation like that that you have created. And that is anger. <laughs> uh, I can remember our first step was to get an answering machine. There was a, uh, a young man that I had uh, helped. He had uh, called me. He had a revolver pointed at his head, and he called me from a uh, pay booth. And he told me he was about to blow his brains out. I think I've told some of you this story. And uh, there was a little restaurant down here called Tia Sophia's. Do you remember that? I think it's closed now. And Tia Sophia's had booths with great big high backs. Do, you, do any of you remember that? And so I, I, I told him that I would meet him down at Tia Sophia's and we'd talk about this. My idea was that if he did blow his brains out, it wouldn't get on anyone because of the, the high backs. This is the kind of thoughts you have in crisis, crisis situations like that. I... I didn't think about where the bullet would go or anything like this. So we met down there and um, we had a real good talk. Uh, I'd prepared well for the talk, stayed with it in peace, and there seemed to be a real change. 
and gradually over the days and the weeks to come, uh, this uh, young man's life seemed to change in a most radical way. He had, for many years, had been living in sort of a squalor. And uh, he cleaned himself up and he got a good job, which he has to this day. This was several years ago. And um, we used to talk regularly. And then I got the answering machine. I'd incidentally given him quite a bit of money. I've learned now not to do that. It puts a, the relationship on an ego basis for you to give someone money. They can't look to you for spiritual help uh, once you do that. I'm not saying that there's never a pop chance that that couldn't work but generally speaking it's not a good idea but I didn't know that and it did seem in this case to touch him deeply he cried uh, I, I uh, brought him the money the first time I met him there at Tia Sophia's I brought him $500 which I could not afford very easily at all and just handed it to him and he wanted to know what strings were attached to it and so forth and so forth and I said nothing I just, I'm just giving this to you uh, just as just to help and he started crying and so I think it touched him um, for me to do that and then I got the answering machine and he tried to get me one day and I, I could not repeat the vitriol that was left on the answering machine this is he knew all along I was this kind of person and da 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 just pure anger and rage you see and I was shocked that that would be his uh, reaction. And then as we began to withdraw a little bit more, simplify our lives a little bit more, same thing happened with our old friends. I've told you about this. I think there's a tape called, uh, what's it called? Betrayal, right, in which I talk about this. Um, and our friends couldn't understand. We weren't going out with them regularly anymore. You know, the, the regular going outs and so forth. We were cutting back on that. And they took it very personally. They thought that we didn't like them, even though they knew that this was, uh, we were doing this consistently. And so with each step back, there was a little bit more anger. Um, and so... It's simply the case that we cannot go into isolation in the degree that we need to in Santa Fe. Santa Fe, I can't tell you how much I love Santa Fe. <clears throat> I can't tell you how much I love these people, but for us to attempt to do it, because of the situation I personally have created here, would surround us with uh, even more anger and it's very difficult to walk home if you're surrounded by anger, even if you know it's not justified, you see. Now, it's simply a matter of fact that if I'm going to leave Santa Fe, <clears throat> I'll have to end the church. I wish those two things didn't go together, but they do. And so it is necessary, of course, that I do this in order for us to to go to some peaceful place. Now, this does entail the sadness because I love this church dearly and I know so many of you so well. I know exactly where you sit. And you're like warm lights and I look around and I see 
these dear, dear people. And you are very, very dear friends of mine. And in praying about this, because we have prayed about this before, Gail and I, and always the answer was, you are not ready for this step yet. And so when finally the time came and we were ready for the step, I said, yes, but what about the people who turned to me for help? And the answer was, although you don't understand this, you will actually help them more because they will now turn to their own resources and they will actually grow more rapidly now that they don't have any sense of dependency whatsoever. And that was difficult for me to accept, but something happened when I told the deacons of our decision. And that is that there was this uplifting of a, a spirit because I said, we're going to have one more year. I'm not going to do this precipitously. We're going to have one full more year. That will mean three years. Oh, I have to tell you something. Uh, I won't tell you who this person is, but uh, one of the uh, deacons wrote to uh, her ex and um, sent some of the tapes and said the dispensable church on it. And uh, her ex wrote back or called back or something and said, yeah, 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 I know all about this. Ministers say that they're dispensable. Ministers say they're not going to continue and so forth, but you just wait and see. And so she was so happy because she was going to be able to write back and see. <laughs> and of course, that's one of the reasons that I named this the dispensable church. All things have their time. All things run their course. The groups that we held over at uh, St. John's United Methodist Church served their purpose after a while. There was a time in which we finally felt, well, we have done all that we can with those groups. And so the time came for us to disband the groups. This is a very good lesson to learn. Nothing lasts forever in the world. And if you will watch very carefully you'll be able to sense when the time has come for you to move on. Not that the thing is bad, but now there's another step for you to take. I want you to know that I have tried to make this as pure and as simple a ministry as I possibly could. That's why I have told you the things that we have done. I told you, for example, that the church was started without a single meeting. We were just over there having these groups and we realized that there had to be something deeper. We had to go deeper. We had to teach in a deeper way because the people who were suicidal and the rape victims and the battered women and the drug addicts and so forth that were coming there were getting little boosts, but they weren't. there wasn't any deep change. And so we needed some vehicle where the change could be deeper. And it was... Mary Lou Cook, Carol Scullin, and people like that over there who went out and found a place. And the church began. And we decided right from the, from the beginning that none of us would receive any money. 
and we decided that we would not make growth our policy. That's why I've told you many times, do not recommend this church. <laughs> this is not a happy thing to do, to go out and try to change people's minds and get them to come someplace. And those of you who've tried that, because we all have, have discovered that it's not a happy thing to do that. And so we have not tried to grow. We have grown. We haven't tried to stop the growth, but we haven't made growth our policy. We haven't made money our policy. We haven't made uh, many, many uh, sub-activities our policy. I tell you in all truth, I have tried as hard as I can to make this as pure and as simple a place for us to come as I have been able to. And I want it to be, I want this final year to be the best. And this is what happened in the deacons meeting. I was thinking possibly it would be slightly depressing or something like that. And just the opposite effect. All of them said, or at least they didn't say it, they seemed to say it in their eyes. We've got one more year we won't have the dispensable church. You may have another church. Some of you may start another church or more than one or other groups. We won't have the dispensable church. And so let's work harder than we ever have this one final year. And there was this uplifting of spirit and there was this coming together. And of course, that's the way it must be this last year. Now to the ego... To work hard means that there must be drudgery, a chore and a bore. That's what the ego thinks, you see, about working. And of course this is not true. To work harder than you've ever worked means that you will be happier than you have ever been. Let's be happier than we've ever been, and we will make more progress toward home, you and I, together, this coming year than we ever have. I promise you the best year I can possibly give. I will give my talks as perfectly as I know how to do. <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course I can't. I, of course I will make mistakes. But I, will, I just want you to know I'm going to prepare and I'm going to do the best job that I can. And oftentimes I will end with an assignment. And those of you who wish to join in this, if you will do the assignment, I can promise you tremendous gain from these simple assignments that we will do. And I'll try to end uh, this morning with one. So let's do work hard. It is simply a fact that this world is not redeemable. It is not perfectible. The ego looks over this world and thinks part of it is healed and part of it isn't. And it thinks it knows the difference. And so it tries to heal the parts that it thinks need healing so that it can live in the parts that it thinks are just fine. And the time comes in which you realize this world is one thing, just as I read in the Course. It is simply one thing. It's just a little nightmare that the Son of God the one self that we have, the one self that we share, has had a little dream. 
but it is a dream wholly without love. And so the love must come from us. We must bring the love. We must bring the unity and the oneness. We must do that. And we can do that. And we can do it with more determination and more effect this coming year than we ever have. And so let's simply set about that. There are some other factors, and I'll tell you about them. But I want to stress that I've already told you the major reason why the dispensable church, why this is the last year of the dispensable church. And that is that the time has come for Gail and me, John and Jordan, and Melissa, who's part of our family, to walk home in a more direct way. This is now very, very clear. That is the reason. And so I personally must leave Santa Fe in order to do that. And of course, this church cannot continue. Now, the name could conceivably continue, but let me just explain that. The name, Dispensable Church, is the name of a corporation, a legal corporation. And we do wish to continue make, making the tapes available to you. And it's possible, I don't know, I haven't really decided about this, but it is possible that I will continue making tapes in some peaceful way. For example, I might sit in a room and just talk into a tape recorder, just as if you and I were having a conversation. I don't know that. It's not a promise. I'm not saying that will happen. But at least for a while, we'll continue to uh, make the tapes available. I want you to know that our tape business has lost $9,000. We have given the tapes at as low a possible uh, cost as we can, and we will continue doing that. Um, and as you know, I don't receive any royalties for the tapes. Why do I tell you this? Because I want you to trust me. I want you to know that I will not mislead you and that what I will tell you comes from my heart and I have no other reason except the reason of wanting to be as good a teacher of God as I can. And those of you who have studied the course are, are already beginning to feel the same urge to simply pass on this gift that you yourself have received. That's all there is to it. We receive so much, and we wish to pass it on. So, other factors. I have not been able to write. For three years, I have not written a book. I did uh, write a book for someone else during that time. But that was a little bit easier because I had an outline to go on. My income comes from my writing. And it's dropped off considerably because I'm not writing any books. So that's another factor. That's not the primary one. But writing is my main way of uh, teaching. The books reach more people. It's a little bit more peaceful and so forth. And so it's a good thing that I continue the writing. And I don't think I would be able to do that with Santa Fe. That is not the primary reason, though. Somehow we would work that out if, if everything else were equal. We'll have a little question and answer period in uh, 
you'll be able to uh, ask any questions if you that you may want to. But I promised you that we would work hard this coming year, and so let me let me talk a little bit about one fundamental and suggest an assignment, which you are, you can free to either do or not do, of course. So let's talk about that for a moment. The fundamental of all fundamentals is the peace of God. This is, for example, the reason why I wish to take another year here. Because unless your way is peaceful, you do not approach the peace of God. Everything you do must be done in peace. Everything must be done in peace. And you do it for peace. Peace is the reason you do it. Peace is what you wish to get out of it. Peace is your guide. Peace is the purest form of guidance that you can possibly have. I have said many, many times in this church that it is best to not seek worded guidance. Because the higher ego, that part of the ego which quotes spiritual truth in order to get us in big, big trouble, can come in so easily. But if you will begin to sense your peaceful preference, if you'll begin to feel this gentle leaning, then you will see that you indeed have guidance and it comes from within you, it comes from the center of you. The higher teachers... That's a term I've used here. It simply means those who have laid aside their egos and are no longer in the world, Jesus being the, the one that we think of most, will not tell you about the future. They will not give you advice and promise you that something's going to happen. And if you'll just do this, the whole world is going to change in this way. and Or if you'll just do that, uh, you're going to have uh, wealth or you're going to have fame or you're going to be singled out or you're going to become a great healer or something like that. This is not what the higher teachers will tell you even if you heard words from the higher teacher. Your higher teacher will simply tell you that you must learn to trust yourself because you must awaken. You are the son of God. You are the Spirit of Christ. Right in your heart, it all lies. And so as you look deeply within you to that deep, peaceful, loving, kind, strong, certain, happy part of you, you will begin to trust it. And you will begin to awake to what you are. And this identity that you've established in the world which may be angry or depressed and may have an opinion on this and it may have an opinion on that and it may must take a stand on this and take a stand on that. And it has a little name and it was born in one place and will be buried in another place. You'll begin to see how foolish it was for you to think that's what you were. You were never that. It was a little dream that you had, just as you dreamed you were something else last night. 
Maybe you dreamed that you were several things last night. And so the time comes in which you must begin to sense deeply what you are. And so you turn away until the time has come from any desire for worded guidance and instead trust this peace in your heart. You develop this peaceful preference. You, you fall back. I've given you this little image before, which has been helpful to me. These things are very personal. They may be helpful and they may not. You fall, I've, what I do is I picture myself falling back into Jesus' arms. And I'm just surrounded by his peace. And then I ask myself, what do I want to do while peaceful, you see? And then it occurs to me to do something. It's not the right thing. It's not the only thing. It is something peaceful. It is a peaceful way to proceed. It may work. It may not work. If it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. I just fall back into Jesus' arms and think of something else peaceful to do. And you will get around any problem if you do that. So rely on peace as your guidance. It will tell you what to do. Peace will be your reward. Do you remember uh, Heim Gannat, the uh, psychologist? Uh, How many of you all remember Heim Gannat, the child? Yeah, all right. Um, you know, uh, uh, forks are not for poking kitty. Forks are for eating, you know, that kind of thing. We had, we had some friends... Uh, <laughs> This was a, one of his little uh, techniques that he used. Very, very effective. There was um, some friends of ours went to a restaurant, and they had a big potato bin there. And uh, their child was named Granola or something like that. I don't know what it was. <laughs> anyway, Granola got up in the potato bin and started throwing potatoes at uh, the various tables. <laughs> and um, so... Uh, the uh, parents who were had been steeped in uh, Heim Gannat uh, said, uh, potatoes are not for throwing. Granola potatoes are not for throwing. And this went on, but he paid no attention to it whatsoever. You know? <laughs> and our friends, uh, my uh, friend is uh, a farmer, and he's a big strapping man. He just went over, grabbed Granola very calmly and peacefully, looked him straight in the eye, and said, don't throw the potatoes. <laughs> and Granola followed him around. He just fell in love with the guy. <laughs> it was done in peace. You see, and it wasn't done in anger. But the firmness, of course, children feel loved if there's firmness, provided there's not anger along with it. So peace is not for without. Peace is far within. And I've told you many times that the number one hindrance to spiritual progress is the belief that you are entitled to some reward because of your spiritual efforts. This is extremely difficult to learn. It is a deep-rooted belief that our spiritual efforts will bring us something and ought to bring us something, an improvement in a relationship, a little extra income, the right apartment, a car that's not a lemon, 
whatever the thing may be, you see. And you eventually learn that, yes, you make decisions in the world with more peace and more gentleness, and you do live with more ease, a little more ease and comfort in the world, but you don't necessarily live with more money or a bigger house or more of a, or a greater reputation or any of those kinds of things. Those that work at the dying center and do work with the dying have seen very, very well-intentioned people cause pain unknowingly by trying to heal someone who has really decided to die. They've decided to go on. And the person thinks it's wrong for them to die. It's right for them to be healed. And there's this great marshalling of forces to try to heal them. And of course it doesn't succeed, except in very rare cases. It usually just makes the person feel guilty. And so they do hang on for a while longer. And it's not a happy, happy thing. There doesn't have to be a connection between your walk home and what happens in the world. People do not have to behave in order for you to be happy. Things do not have to go your way in the world in order for you to feel the abundance and the goodness and the blessing of God. So peace is for within. It is your reward. As you are peaceful, you are receiving a reward. But do not look over your shoulder to see if something happened as a result of the peace. Because we're going to have a little question and answer period, I'll make this uh, short. And let me just suggest an assignment those of you who wish to work on this. Why do you get angry? Those of you who have children will be able to sense this possibly even more readily than those who don't. <laughs> you always get angry because you have set a goal. You have decided how it must go. How someone must behave. Whether or not you will, will be on time, you must be on time. How long the child has to eat the dinner. As we talked before, people got mad at their children this Christmas all over the country because they didn't open their presents rapidly enough. Or they played with one, pre, uh, one toy too long and they didn't look at this other toy. They didn't play with it in the right way, you see. Set a goal and you will get angry in some way. And so the exercise is very simple. You watch this coming week, your mind very, very carefully and notice every time you set a goal of any sort. This does not mean you don't have priorities in the world. As we've said before here, there is a very important distinction between priorities and a goal. Your priority may be that you've got to get this uh, particular thing done today. You have to uh, take the car in or you've got to uh, 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 do something on your lunch break at work or whatever the thing may be. You've got to get such and such a thing cleaned or, or you've got to uh, take your pill uh, X number of times a day or whatever the thing may be. Of course, you must see what your priorities are. 
And in the morning is a good time to do that, to look over the day and say, what things do I, what is the bottom line today? What do I have to do in the world so that I will be as peaceful as possible in the world? This isn't the peace of God. Do I need to go in and have my driver's license renewed? Is this weighing on me? Then that's, that is a priority. Once you see what your priorities are, then you're not going to do things that you don't need to be doing now and neglecting things that would be better if you were doing. It's that simple. You must see what your priorities are, and then you're not going to waste a lot of time. But you set your priorities and you put them aside, and you have as your only goal the peace of God, to be at peace this day, to feel peace, to bless people with peace, to extend peace. Peace is for within. So you do it for peace, with peace, and in peace. So the the assignment's very simple. Watch your mind, see when you set a goal, and notice what happens when you set a goal. Here's what I'm saying is true. You cannot set a goal of any sort that they're going to bring the food out within a certain period of time at the restaurant. You've sat down at the restaurant, and they've got to bring it out within a certain period of time. If you have a simple goal like that, if you have any goal whatsoever, notice you cannot experience the peace of God because your mind is now leaning out of the present and God is in the present and nowhere else. So you watch your mind. You become very, very conscious of setting a goal. You see what the results are. You notice them. And you go back to the present. You interrupt the goal the setting of the goal, whenever you notice it. If you notice that you set the goal, pursued the goal, and now look back and see the whole thing was peaceful, you didn't even notice the process until it was over with, what do you do? You still go back to the present, into the presence of God. To be in the present is to be in God. To be in the future, to worry about the future, to strive for the future, to have some sense of tension about the future is to not experience the presence of God. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't go down and buy your airplane ticket and all this silly stuff. You see, the ego translates this into insanity. Of course, you you go ahead and do in the present whatever you need to do so that you will take care of the things that need to be taken care of. But having set your priorities, you... Make your goal peace, and then when you have time, you take your priorities up. You see the difference? And so if suddenly your child is sick, you drop the priority of getting to the office at a certain time because the peace of God is your goal, and it's obvious that you must take care of your child. It's just, it's that simple. So you set your priorities And then when you have time, you work on your priorities. But if something happens and you cannot pursue a priority, it is not a goal. And so you can let go of it simply and easily because you wish to maintain this peace. You wish to walk on peace. 
You wish to surround yourself with peace. So watch your goals this coming week. If you would like to write these down, this is extremely helpful. Carry a little pad with you. Keep one on the, in the car beside you. Keep one in your desk at, at your office. Every time you see that you've set a goal, make a note of it in, the, in your little notebook. Yes, you've set this same goal several times already this week. Keep writing it down anyway. Write down the goal. And then if you want another little column about what happened as a result of setting the goal, then you will see this. Unless we see something, we can hear it a thousand times and it's meaningless. You must see it and then you can move in the right direction. Once you see what setting goals does to your happiness and your peace and what it does to your relationships, you simply won't set goals anymore. You'll catch yourself as soon as, soon as you start setting one and you'll let it go. Okay, we've got a few minutes. So if there are any questions, we can talk a little bit about that. Now, I think you had a question. Would you repeat it again, please? This man who called you. The man who called me? The man who was uh, suicidal. Oh, yes, right. He got angry. All right. And uh, my, what went on in me was, by being angry with you, he probably saved himself from blowing his brains out. That's, that's quite possibly true, yeah. And that uh, to interpret his anger as needing to protect yourself by leaving, Yes. No, it's not. It isn't that kind of anger that uh, I'm not being driven out of Santa Fe by people. I want you to understand that. <laughs> this is why you must understand, because uh, many of you, we've worked very closely together. You and I have worked very closely together, many of, many of you. We've, we've talked after the service and we've talked on the phone and so forth. It isn't that. That is not the reason I'm leaving Santa Fe. It isn't, it isn't those relationships. I really do wish there was some way I could just bundle you all up and carry you in a great big suitcase and we could just sit and chat and listen to this magnificent music and all that kind of thing, you see. I love you dearly and I, I love the deacons and I, I can't tell you what gratitude I feel for the deacons. I, I know this. you've heard this kind of thing. Well, I want to thank so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. <laughs> <laughs> But sometimes it's sincere. And I <laughs> and I can't tell you how much work Mary Lou Cook, for example, has done. It's just astounding when I look back and see what she has done. All the little thoughtful things that she had for the congregation, the little things that she's made back there, copying something that Jerry said down in calligraphy so you could have it, the marriage vows, the little errands she did, that the, the putting the thing in the paper, the newspaper going down there, getting our little announcement in when we first started in the k because we couldn't afford an ad at that time, and all that stuff. Carol Scullin literally built the uh, those... you remember the, at the girls' club, the uh, backgrounds? She built those with her own nails and hammer and 
so forth. Cher has mopped out uh, the girls' club so many times, helped carry chairs, and of course she collects and does everything. These are just the original people, you know, that were that were sort of started the church. There are other deacons that have just done Herculean tasks. Um, John Huntress started composing when this church started. I, he, he told you this story once. I hope I don't embarrass him by repeating it. But his little boy died, and he wasn't able to compose for several years. And then he started composing for us. What a gift that first song was. Do you remember that? The Walker. And then the songs that came after. I did a wedding a little while back in which uh, he had composed a song, and he sang it here the next Sunday, just for the couple. He composed a whole song just for the couple that was getting married. It was so beautiful that people cried. It was just lovely. And uh, David and Melissa were with us almost right from the beginning. Uh, Joanna Moore has helped so many times. Those are just the very early ones. And then there have been many people have been that have uh, someone pointed out that we have 12. We're going to have to change that. <laughs> we're going to change that real fast. <laughs> um, we have 12 now. So I'm not going to go through everybody. But I want you to know how much you and these people have meant to me. And it, no one is running us out of town. I tell you the truth. When I tell you that the time simply comes in your spiritual journey in which you will see, I want to walk home now. And I want to do it in the most direct way that I can. You will feel this. If you try to advance this, one day, one week, one month, you may set yourself back considerably. Do not long for this day. Just wait until it comes, and when you know without any doubt whatsoever, when you feel complete peace about the step, then you take the step. And you will know how to do it, and it isn't necessarily leaving Santa Fe. You can see how personal that is, you see. Or going someplace. Uh, you don't have to go someplace. Oh, Tui, would you tell a, story, tell a little story right now, would you? I want Tui to tell you a little story. It's a real, real short little story. You want to enter this matter? Um, when, I, when I heard uh, you was thinking of uh, leaving in a year, uh, I told him a story and he asked me to share it with you. Um, when this uh, Indian saint, I believe his name was Raman Maharshi, was dying, uh, all his disciples got around him and went, oh, Papaji, Papaji, please don't leave. Please don't leave. And he said, don't be silly. Where can I go? <laughs> this is the thing that the world doesn't understand, but many of you now can understand this. Love is one thing. You cannot pursue part of love and withdraw part of it someplace else. But this is the way it perceives. Uh, the, the, this is the way we perceive it, do you see? And so I know by walking toward my father more directly, I will, in fact, help more people more directly. And this is what we want to do, isn't it? Isn't that what each and every one of you wants to do? You want to be a good person. You want to help people. You know you want to help people. 
Now, what happens is, as you go along, you, you, you go through the more overt stages of it, you see. So I was doing a lot of, uh, giving a lot of talks around the country, you know, I was do, doing that kind of thing, and doing the more, and I was on the crisis line, I was taking double duty on the crisis line, I was up all night talking to people, I was literally on the phone all day long when I wasn't out talking, and that was good, and I did help some people that way, there's no doubt about it. Then I withdrew a little bit about that, we went, we did the groups, we did the groups, and that helped people. And then came the church, and this has helped some people. But you know what happens eventually? You begin to see it makes no difference what you say. It's whether or not your heart includes the people that you are attempting to help. And you can, and this is a good thing to do if you're not doing this already. I'm not saying that every one of you uh, need do this, but you will eventually begin setting aside time every day to do nothing but surround and light the people who are in your mind. You will just hold them in your heart and you will bless them. You will see the light of Christ in them and around them and you will say words of blessing to them. And did you know that will do more for them than any words you said to them on the phone? The world doesn't believe that. And that's why that story is true. He was not going anywhere. He was going to be more present. And those of you who have experienced a guru know the truth of this if the guru is left and I know one of you have one of as one person here in particular I know whose guru died and she feels his presence more strongly those of you who've had a child die know this experience the child is more with you you can't explain it it sounds weird if you even try to explain it those of you who have had a deep love a great love with a spouse and the spouse has died the spouse is with you always now. You can feel the presence of the spouse and you can join with the spouse. And this is not an illusion. And you know it if you've experienced it. Yes. That's, that's good. That's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now it's going to be a full year. 
I want you to know we're going to have a full year together. We're going to work really, really hard this year. I'm going to do the best I can this year. This will be the best year of the Dispensable Church. I was there during the best year of the Dispensable Church. (laughs) You're going to get to attend one-third of the entire life of the Dispensable Church. (laughs) Okay. I just got tangled up in the wires. <laughs> Hope this is not an omen here. <laughs> okay. uh, so let's see. Is there another question? Yes. Uh, over here. Yes. <laughs> okay, that's a good note to end on now. <laughs> uh, I'll think about that for a while. Now, see. <laughs>